to talk about uh, Jesus and controversy. Anybody like controversy? <laughs> Some people love controversy. Did you know that Jesus is one of the most controversial people of all time? I know we kind of recognize that, um, but how do you actually measure that? That's an interesting thought, and one way you can measure that is through Wikipedia. I don't know if you know about Wikipedia. I'm sure you probably have, or I don't know if you ever thought about it. Wikipedia is actually a free encyclopedia that anyone can edit. And so therefore... The way you measure it is, who has the most edits? And about five years ago, uh, a 15-year kind of anniversary of Wikipedia, they came out with the top 10 most controversial people, the ones with the most edits. And Jesus was third. He had 28,000 edits. George W. Bush was first, and Michael Jackson was second. (laughs) Who made the top 10? Basically, world leaders, pop stars, and wrestlers. I don't understand that, but I guess wrestlers are very controversial people. Controversial topics that come up all the time. Abortion, gun control, marriage equality, global warming, black lives matter, and of course the biggest one right now, which is, let me hear you, vaccines. You weren't thinking vaccines? I didn't hear anybody yell that out. That's the big controversy right now. Do I get the vaccine? Do I not get the vaccine, right? More than likely, you found yourself kind of picking a side when it comes to a controversial topic. And some people honestly handle controversy really well, and some people not so well, right? Some people run from controversy like Forrest Gump, and some love to be right in the middle of it. Well, it's Godronic, as I like to say, that just yesterday I got a text from someone who I know. Um, She's attended church here um, before in the past, but her text started off by simply saying, I'm into another controversy among Christians, and I value your Bible knowledge. That's the text I got yesterday. So I knew I was on the right track. (laughs) The Holy Spirit was leading in this message. She told me her topic, and then she followed it by saying, it's really hard to talk to some people about this because they get so upset. It's interesting. I wonder how you handle controversy. If you struggle with controversy, then this message is definitely for you. If you're awesome at it, then please take the podium. I will sit down and listen and learn from you. But I doubt it. I doubt anyone here is awesome at handling controversy Um, And since controversy is never going to go away until Jesus comes back or we go to be with the Lord, uh, I think we should learn, basically, how did Jesus handle controversy. Um, He did it really, really well. In the Gospels, we're going to see here, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that Jesus didn't run from controversy. He faced it even if it was uncomfortable. He didn't get upset with people when they didn't agree with him. He actually wisely pointed out the bigger picture and their hidden agenda. And he didn't condemn them when they were totally misinformed. He spoke the truth in love. Wouldn't you like to face controversy that way? In such a way that you can see the big picture and respond with truth and love? That's the way Jesus did it. 
And that's the way I want us to do it and myself. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day to glorify you in all we do. Pray, Father, that this message would fall onto open ears, that we could hear what you want us to hear and that we could respond with worship, we could glorify you, that we could do and act the way your son acted when we face controversy, because we will. I pray this in Jesus' name. And the whole church said, So I have three examples for you in Matthew chapter 12. They're also in Mark 2 and Luke 6. As you know, we're harmonizing the Gospels. We're seeing how the Gospels come together. And last week was Come to Jesus. And in that message, we ended with Matthew 11, which Jesus said, Come to me and find rest for your soul. If you missed that, it's on our website, of course, and our YouTube channel. But Right after Matthew 11, the end of that, we see Matthew 12. So I'm going to read to you here some of these verses so you can see the controversy that Jesus faced. It was at a time in Matthew 12, verse 1, that Jesus was going through the grain fields on the Sabbath day. The Sabbath being Saturday and a day in which they were not to do any kind of work. His disciples were hungry, though, and so they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. No doubt they didn't do this on their own. They did it. They asked Jesus if it was okay. And the Pharisees, who are the religious leaders and strict, strict obedience to the law, said, saw it and said, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And as you know, I've said this before, the Pharisees being very zealous about the law, um, put a lot of unnecessary restrictions on God's people. Praise God that you're in a church that doesn't do that. (laughs) Amen? Amen. They had, I just read this this week in my devotion, just read this week that you could spit on a rock, that was okay. But if you spit in the mud, you couldn't do that because it would make mortar If you spit in the dirt, it would make mud or mortar, and you might lay a brick. You couldn't carry a needle in your purse, ladies, because you might start sewing. They had crazy restrictions on the Sabbath day. They made it a burden to God's people. The Sabbath day, our day of worship, Can you imagine it being a burden? Worrying about, oh my gosh, can I do this? Can I do that? What can I do? What what can I do? So Jesus responds to them with a story that they were very much aware of, but ignored. Here's the story, verse 3. He said, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And those were with him. He entered the house of God, and he ate the bread of the presence, the showbread, which is not lawful for him to eat, not for those who were with him, but it's only lawful for the priests to eat. Now the Jews greatly respected David. And to be reminded of this story when David did something that they would not have approved of. Jesus is showing them something. And then he goes on to say, Have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath but are guiltless? What I think that's referring to is is that the priests will 
circumcise a boy on the eighth day, regardless of what day it is, being the Sabbath day or not. They have to do it on the eighth day. And then Jesus says, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what it means, I desire mercy, and that word means compassion, rather than sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless, my disciples, for the Son of Man is the Lord, that means boss, of the Sabbath. And I like how Mark says it. He records the words of Jesus. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, which is what the Pharisees made it about. The Sabbath was introduced by God as a way for man and woman to have rest. You can work six days, but the seventh you should focus on God and get rest. Do good, but get rest. And don't you know God's timing is always perfect? Because it seems like every time I have to teach about the Sabbath or I read about the Sabbath, I find myself working seven days a week. And I'm exhausted. There's so much to do, and yet it still doesn't get done. You know what I'm saying? You think this great tan I have is because I go fishing all the time? It's not. I'm outside doing all these projects that I've given myself. I'm coaching baseball for my son two, three nights a week. I only went fishing once in two weeks. You should feel sorry for me. But I'm tired. I'm frustrated. And yet the answer is right here in God's Word. Honor the Sabbath. Take a day off. Maybe you needed to hear that, and that's all you needed to hear today. Jesus went on from there, verse 9, and he entered their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, a hand that didn't work. They asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So they might accuse him. They were setting up Jesus. They hated him. He wouldn't conform to their ways. And Jesus said to them, Which one of you has a sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Of course, they disagreed with that. Right? They didn't think you should do anything on the Sabbath. But Jesus understood the truth about it. He was there when it first began. And he had the greatest perspective. They had limited perspective. The Pharisees. Their their perspective was limited to the previous, you know, whatever years. Because they learned from their rabbi, right? And he learned from his rabbi and Rabbis had, you know, just like a lot of religious leaders, have a way of tweaking things over the years. And it had gotten to this point of where they're at, and they were basically going by their tradition. Their perspective was limited. A lot of times I find it very interesting that as I study theology and as I read scholars, and there's, a, there's like a majority of belief in a certain you know, theological topic, and then somebody just blows my mind and says, 
you know that's really just been a belief for the last 100 years? Christianity's been around for 2,000 years, yet that's only been the last 100 years. But I, have, I didn't know that. I have limited perspective because it all depends on what books you read and so on and so forth. These Pharisees grew up really believing a lie. How troublesome is it when you grow up learning something, you believe for years and years and years that's the way it is, right? And then somebody tells you that's not the way it is. Isn't that hard? I mean, AJ shared a little bit of his testimony, and sometimes I have seen this many times over the years, to be honest. People come from a traditional church to life of purpose where there was a lot of rules. I'm not naming names. Okay, you know, you might have been there. And you've been in that for a long time, and their traditions are more important than the Bible. Their traditions aren't even in the Bible. And then you come here, and you realize, oh, that's what the Bible says. That's really what Jesus taught. That's hard. Especially if you were doing something for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. I say that's a controversy within. Because now you've got to deal with that. And I've told you when God speaks to you, it will bring you oftentimes to a crisis of belief. Do I really believe that? Do I believe the truth? So how are you going to respond when God speaks to you? Well, the Pharisees... They hardened their hearts. Jesus told them truth. They hardened their hearts. They wouldn't listen. They dug in their heels. But if you want to handle controversy like the way Jesus did, look at what he did. He didn't run away from it. He stood up for what was right, told them the truth, gave them an opportunity to believe, was very humble about it. We don't do that very well sometimes. He tried explaining they missed the point of the Sabbath. He was telling them, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Compassion is more important than following the rules, the traditions. And sadly, the Pharisees, they were so prideful. Pride being the root of much of our sin. I was reading that in a book recently where confess your sin and then the counselor said, well, what's the sin that caused the sin? In other words, what's the root of your sin? Let's, let's get all the way down to the root of it. Let's find out what it is. And generally, most of the time, it's one of two things. It's either pride or it's just straight-up unbelief. You don't believe. Pride or unbelief, the root of much of our sin. The pride of the Pharisees caused them to do the unthinkable, and that is they crucified the Son of God. They crucified the Son of God. The Sabbath, by the way, is still a big deal for Jewish people today. I was um, looking on Marketplace uh, to buy something. I don't remember what it was, probably something for fishing. But the ad said that if it's the Sabbath, bear with me, I'll respond when it's sunset. So it's someone who's honoring the Sabbath. My hope is that he understands the real meaning of the Sabbath. Can I tell you what the real meaning of the Sabbath is? Do you have ears to hear? 
for what the Sabbath really is all about? A little encouragement, maybe? Yes? Okay. The Old Testament Sabbath really is simply pointing to the New Testament Sabbath. Like many things that go on in the Old Testament, they are types or foreshadowing of what will happen or what did happen. And in this case, the Old Testament Sabbath is pointing to something that has yet to happen for us. You see, the, in the book of Exodus, you read that these um, Israelites, God's people, they were in slavery in Egypt. God helped them escape using Moses. And when they escaped, they were supposed to head to the promised land. They should have been there in, say, two weeks. But instead, because of their unbelief, they spent 40 years in the desert, and that generation died. And then you would think the next generation entered the promised land because that's what you read. But again, that promised land is really just a foreshadowing of the true promised land. Joshua led the next generation into the land flowing with milk and honey, Canaan, but if you read Hebrews, which is a wonderful way to help you connect Old Testament to New Testament, Hebrews 4, verse 8, if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. It's still out there. Whoever has entered God's rest, uh, has also rested from his works as God did from his. And that is resting from your working for your salvation. Verse 11, Let us therefore strive to enter God's rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. You can't work your way into heaven, which is God's rest. You're saved by grace alone, through faith alone in Jesus Christ. Now, here's the neat part. How do you understand that? How does someone understand that? How does that neighbor that you have, that relative that you love, that friend of yours, how do they come to the belief that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior? The Word of God. Because when you keep reading in Hebrews 4, verse 12, the Word of God is living and active. And it is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it pierces to the division of soul, spirit, joints, and marrow, and it discerns the thoughts and intentions of your heart. Who can hide from the Word of God? No creature is hidden from His sight. We're all naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. The Word of God will cut you to the core. Nothing in your life is hidden when the Word of God exposes it. And faith comes from hearing. Hearing the Word of God. That's how people are saved. Heaven is the promised land. It is the ultimate rest. Hebrews goes on to say much more, that Jesus is your high priest, the one and only high priest. And at the same time, Jesus is your sacrificial lamb. Which is just mind-blowing, right? Because the priest is the one who sacrifices the lamb. But Jesus made a way when there was no way. And so I say, We honor the Sabbath each week with great anticipation of an eternal Sabbath someday in the presence of our Lord and Savior. Amen?
That is the rest. That is the true Sabbath, heaven. The next time that Jesus faced controversy, wasn't much longer after that, he came to a place and he was accused of something that is unbelievably ridiculous. Okay? Mark, or Matthew 12, verse 22. There was a demon-oppressed man, blind and mute, and they brought him to Jesus. And he did what he did. He healed him. And the man spoke and saw. And if you saw that, your response would be their response. They were amazed. And they said, is this, could this be the son of David? Could this be the Messiah? And they were putting their faith in Jesus as he was the Messiah. And here comes the crazy accusation by those religious leaders, the Pharisees. They heard it and they said, it is only, this is in verse 24, Baal-Beelzebub, I'll say that again. It's only by Beelzebub, which is a name for Satan, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Now, knowing their thoughts, he said, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. No city or house divided against itself will stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? Now, some of you history buffs might be thinking, that sounds really familiar. Who said that? And the answer is, any history buffs? Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, Abraham Lincoln actually gets the credit for the words of Jesus. Because in one of his great speeches, he said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Of course, he's talking politics. (laughs) But Jesus said it first, and he was talking spirits. And how did Jesus respond to this crazy allegation? That he is casting out these demons because he has a demon in him. He says, to use a sports analogy, why would I kick off or kick out members of my own team? That doesn't make any sense. Right? That doesn't make any sense. Why would I do that? This is, that we're, I want to be on... He doesn't say that. doesn't make any sense. Now, I would have gone off on those people right there. I mean, wouldn't you? Why didn't Jesus go off on them? I mean, it's controversial, right? And, and when we get into a controversy, when we get into a conflict, your emotions get really high, right? Yes. And it gets personal. Oh, look out, baby, right? If it's personal. I wish I could find the verse in the Bible where Jesus punched somebody out with one punch. <laughs> I've been looking for a long time, and I can only find it in First Trombley chapter 1, okay? That's not a book in the Bible, okay? I just want to say that. They accused Jesus of having the devil. I would be very upset. But you know what he did? He didn't make it about him versus them. He made it about the Holy Spirit versus them. What he goes on to say is in verse 27, If I cast out demons by Beelzebub, By whom do your sons, or the prophets of old, cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. He says, if I, I, but, he says, if it is by the Spirit of God, 
that I cast out demons, then behold, the kingdom of God is upon you and you're in for a rude awakening. But whoever is not with me, then he says, is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. This, of course, has brought up a lot of discussion in Bible studies and Christian circles. What does it mean to blaspheme the Holy Spirit? You ever wondered that? Maybe some of you have wondered that. What does it mean? Well, I would say today, today I think we would say this, that if someone is blaspheming the Holy Spirit, I would simply say they are someone who is not born again by the Holy Spirit. They don't have the Holy Spirit. Because if you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, you're not a true believer. And therefore you blaspheme the Holy Spirit. You reject it. You talk smack about it. Don't have it in you. And as we hear a lot in this church, there's two kinds of people in the world. There's sinners and there's saved sinners. That's it, right? Saved sinners, we need daily forgiveness. We need our feet washed because this is a dirty world we live in. As Peter learned, we don't need our whole body washed. Why? Because the Holy Spirit took care of that. But we do need our feet washed. But when you don't have the Holy Spirit, you blaspheme it because you justify your sin. You don't seek forgiveness from Jesus. You try to earn it. And you tell yourself, I've done more good than bad. God will be okay with that. That's blaspheming the Holy Spirit. But Jesus said in John 6, nobody comes to the Father except through me. That's what Jesus said. He goes on to say in Matthew 12, verse 33, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of snakes. How can you speak good when you are evil? And then he says this, which is the wise part. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In the middle of this controversy, Jesus has this tremendous wisdom. He hears what they're saying, but he knows why they're saying it. He knows the real reason. He knows their heart. Are you not amazed by those people in the world that have that tremendous wisdom that when they hear something or something's happening, they just have this ability to go. They see this big, giant picture. I'm always amazed by that. Just the other day, I was talking with some dads um, about teen boys and emotion they show in sports. It's a table full of dads, all with teenage or preteen sons, and do they cry or don't they cry, right? Some dads grew up believing you don't cry. Even if you strike out in the bottom of the ninth with the bases loaded, right, you're down by one run, you don't cry because there's no crying in baseball. Yeah, see, you know it. It's a movie, by the way, if you've never seen it. Suck it up, buttercup. Be a man. There's no crying. But nowadays we see boys crying all the time. 
And we still give them a trophy. This is controversial, believe me, in many houses. All right. So I asked a wise friend, what do you think about this? I was having this conversation with these dads, and some say don't cry, some say, you know, let them cry. What do you think? And he pulled a Jesus on me. I mean, he just had this wisdom. And he saw the big picture, and he said, Matt, we're just a bunch of pendulum swingers. Back in the day, you never cried. You might have grew up with that. And now the pendulum has swung to the other side. Now you cry all you want. Think about it. There's lots of things in your life, things you grew up with that you did not like. And now you have a family, and now you've swung the pendulum to the other side, and you will never let that happen in your house. That's what we do. We're pendulum swingers. Jesus heard these words, and he understood their heart. He saw the big picture. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We need to learn to be, find our, our, a sweet spot in the middle. Right? You may have not liked something. Don't have to go all the way to the other side, just because. Find a sweet spot in the middle. Jesus turns this accusation right back on these people. He reveals their heart. They were blaspheming the Holy Spirit. They were not listening to God. They needed a wake-up call. So here's the thing. If you find yourself in the midst of controversy, and you could be emotionally (laughs) at a point where you're probably not thinking so straight, pray and ask God for wisdom. I mean, stop the conversation and say, you know what, I'm just going to need a little time to process this, which is really your way of saying pray about it, (laughs) and get some wisdom from God. You know, I feel like that's the woman who texts me. She's like, I I don't want to argue, I don't want this to be this heated discussion, I really just want some time to pray about it and seek wisdom. And that's what we need to do. Because we'll never speak the truth in love if we're not emotionally stable and don't have the wisdom, the bigger picture. The last controversy, quickly I'll zip through this, has to do with a sign that Jesus was requested of. uh, Verse uh, 38, chapter 12. Some of the scribes and Pharisees answered Jesus saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. Which is a ridiculous request. I mean, he's been doing miracles. He is immensely popular. Thousands of people are following him around because he's been doing miracles and signs for a while now. And they want to see another one. So you know it doesn't really matter. He knows this. If I show him a sign, they're still not going to believe. It's like watching a magician. You're amazed by it for a second, but you don't really believe it's real. You know it, you don't think it's true. It didn't really happen. There's a trick. Show me the trick. So he answers them. This is your sign. He says, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. 
I was just talking with Diedrich before service, and he was telling me that some scuba diver just got swallowed by a humpback whale. <laughs> you might have heard this and got spit back out, right? Now, Jesus uses this as an example of talking about being in the tomb for three days and then dying and being resurrected. But his point in this story, he says in verse 41, here's the point, which is actually going to fuel the controversy. He says, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Here's the thing. You're probably familiar with the story of Jonah, especially if you have young kids. You've probably opened up a kid's Bible, or maybe you've done something with vacation Bible school before, and you know Jonah and the whale. All right. Well, contrary to kids' Bibles, the whale is not the main character in the story, nor is it even the point. The point of the book of Jonah is that God wanted Jonah to preach to a people that he hated for two reasons. They were a different race and a different religion. And Jonah didn't want to preach to them because he knew God was gracious and merciful and if they just so happened to repent, God would forgive them and he wasn't about that. He was playing God. So he did what many of us would do. He ran the other way. Got on a ship, and then, of course, the real trouble happened, you know, that part of the story. But eventually he did preach, and they did repent, and they did come to know the Lord. And Jesus points out here that those people that repented, those evil Assyrians, those Gentiles, they repented, and they will condemn the Jewish people. Wow. That's fueling the controversy. But this is the sign that Jesus gave to them. He ends it with this. That last part of that verse said, I am greater than Jonah. And the next verse, he talks about Solomon. And he says, I'm greater than Solomon with all his wisdom and riches. I think this is every person's greatest controversy. Who's the Lord of your life? Because we all look in the mirror And we want to think that we are in charge. That's the greatest controversy. You're not in charge of your life. God is. He's got the plan. And the sooner that you surrender that, the sooner you'll find peace. Is Jesus the Lord of your life? I hope he is. Jesus faced a lot of controversy in the three and a half years of his ministry. He did it with great wisdom. And he used it to accomplish his purpose. He teaches us that when we face controversy, when you pick a side, make sure you pick God's side. If it gets personal, make sure you honor God with your actions. Because if you're not speaking the truth in love, if you're angry, if you're bitter, if you're condemning, you're not being like Jesus. Because Jesus didn't come to condemn or judge. He came to save the world. And if you claim to follow Jesus, I think you should concern yourself with making disciples instead of dying on your hill. Just let that sink in. I think we need to concern ourselves with making disciples instead of dying on our hill. I asked you two weeks ago to pray for three people that don't know the Lord. 
Are you praying for those people? Are you praying with faith? And are you willing to share your faith? Because I think if three people come to know the Lord from every one of us that prays, it's going to change everything. And that's what I want to see. Because that's what matters. That's all that matters. As we sing our final song, I want to invite you to come up if you need prayer. Some of our prayer team will be up here. And if you want them to pray for you, then just go up to them and ask them to pray for you. Our team can come up and prepare. If you want to just pray by yourself, you can come up to these steps and let them be your altar, and you can pray alone. If you want someone to pray with you, the team will be up here. If you want to pray alone, come up to the steps. This is your time to draw closer to God. Maybe there's something on your mind. Maybe you heard something today, and you just need to talk to God about it. Take this time as we sing our final song. Amen.